Well, this morning we will begin a study in the book of First Timothy. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and give you just a little history before we get started. In the books, uh, or excuse me, the book of Acts chapter 16, it tells us that Paul came into the area of Derby and Lystra. It says that there he met a certain disciple named Timothy. It also tells us that Timothy's mom was a Jewish woman and that his dad was a Greek man. It also says in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium and that Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So this is where Paul meets Timothy. And Paul took Timothy out with him on his missionary journey. And later, toward the end of Paul's ministry, he wrote this letter here that we are about to study. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and hopefully you're all there, and verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul loved Timothy. He calls him a true son in the faith here. Again, Timothy was already a disciple before he had met Paul. And he was already highly spoken of as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but he would prove to be of tremendous value in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Timothy's life ended when he was trying to witness to a group of pagans that were celebrating a feast called Catagogian. This was a celebration of idols, and these idols were paraded through the streets while singing songs of praise to these idols. Timothy was severely beaten on that day, and he died just a couple days later from his wounds. And the majority of Timothy's work in the ministry was, was done in the city of Ephesus. Paul continues in verse 3 and says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So Timothy was a kind of a elder to the elders, or you could call him a pastor to the pastors. And Paul had established this church in Ephesus, and he left Timothy there to oversee it. Now, let's go ahead and, and take a few moments here, and let's go to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 20. So mark this page here in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, and then turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Of course, it's in the New Testament. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, okay? And what I want to do here is give you a little insight into the church in Ephesus. Again, this is where Timothy did most of his ministry work. So, in Acts chapter 20, and looking down at verse 16, it says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to uh, Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So Paul here is gathering all the elders of the church in Ephesus to come to this place, uh, Miletus, and meet with him there. He had something on his heart that he wanted to share with all of these elders. And verse 18, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So the church in Ephesus and be careful here to, as to how you think of this church because it's a body of believers, okay? It's not a building with a sign out in front of it that has a name on it, right? This is a body of believers in the city of Ephesus. But this church, this body of believers, they were meeting in houses, exactly like we're doing right now. So what else did Paul do? when he was in Ephesus. Verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's telling these elders, hey, this is what I did when I was there and you need to keep on going. So he says to Timothy, like we read a few moments ago, Make sure, Timothy, that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. You see, this is the purpose of a church gathering, that there would be godly edification there, okay? In faith, godly edification. And Paul gives these elders these instructions here that we're reading about in Acts. Um, and he's given these instructions to them face to face. And then he left Timothy with them to make sure that they kept on doing what they were supposed to be doing. And that was teaching sound doctrine and causing for godly edification. All right? Now let's stay here in Acts chapter 20, and read uh, some more. Verse 22 says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. 
But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So, Paul makes an important point there in verses 26 and 27. He says he's innocent of the blood of all men. Why? Because he did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. He taught the gospel. Everything that the Lord gave him to teach, he taught it. He was faithful in this. And it's important that we understand, and and I guess if you're a Bible teacher, you're a pastor, whatever you may call yourself, you're in the ministry, you're an elder, whatever it may be, you have a job to do. I have a job to do. I have a duty. And that is to teach the whole counsel of God which is the reason that from very on and very early in my ministry, um, back in 1986 when I got saved, I read the Bible in my apartment. That's how I got saved, and I just continued to read the Bible and study the Bible. And then I stepped out and began to teach the Bible and uh, share the gospel with people and teach Bible studies and such, and been doing that now for all these years. But anyway, I hope that someday I'll stand before the Lord and I'll be able to say that that I did not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. So it's important that, again, I'm speaking to those of you that uh, may have that calling in your life where you share the gospel with people, you step up and you teach the Bible in one way, shape, or form, Stick to the Word of God. Stick very close to it. And do not shun to declare the whole counsel of God. Okay? And that is of the utmost importance. And Paul knew it was the up, of, a, of the utmost importance because he didn't want any blood on his hands. What does that mean, to have blood on his hands? Well, he would have been responsible if he didn't teach the whole counsel of God if he only taught portions of Scripture, or if he only, you know, or if he made up some false doctrine, some doctrine of Paul, okay? He would have had blood on his hands. But as he stood before these elders here in Miletus, he knew that he had run the race, right? And he still had a little bit to go. He wanted to finish the ministry. He wanted to run his race with joy. Because he knew where he had received this ministry from. He didn't receive it from any other man on the face of the earth. He received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul left these elders to teach the whole counsel of God. And he left Timothy to kind of make sure that they continued to do this, like I said earlier. And then in verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, 
which he purchased with his own blood. And you see, that's a very, very important part of Scripture as well. That the body of Christ, the church, people that are believers in Jesus Christ, people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, been born again, and turned their life completely over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They don't belong to any pastor. They don't belong to any Bible teacher. They don't belong to any elder, deacon, whatever you want to call it. Okay, These people belong to Jesus Christ. And He purchased them with His blood. He purchased me. He purchased you with His blood. And those these elders that Paul was speaking to, they were, they were simply to be overseers. Um, overseers of the one that the Holy Spirit brought them to be overseers of. So again, as I maybe speak to a pastor, to an elder, do you have one person in your life that God has you overseeing right now? Then do it faithfully. Do you have ten? Do you have a thousand? Do it faithfully. Don't shun the whole counsel of God. Okay, Teach the whole counsel of God. Teach all of the Word. In our day and age, there are many churches that are Disneyland churches in, in a sense, right? They offer a little bit of everything to make everybody happy, to keep everybody pleased, to keep their seats filled. And then they feel as if these people belong to them somehow. But Paul wasn't the one that made these men overseers of the church of God. It was the Holy Spirit that did this. It's the Holy Spirit that continues to do the same work today in calling men to to teach the Bible, to oversee and to shepherd a flock. You see, an overseer is not an owner of a fellow believer. An overseer has simply been chosen by the Holy Spirit to edify and to equip others for the work of the ministry. This was the role of these elders that Paul is talking to here, and it was the role of Timothy in the life of these elders. We also need to be encouraged to stay the course of sound doctrine. And God has um, people that he has set in the body of Christ to do this work. Look at verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will Come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. What's that talking about there? It's men trying to make people followers of them. Men trying to build their own kingdoms. Trying to make their church larger. To expand, to have more buildings, to have more people. Right? The body of Christ operated from the beginning in in a way where the gospel was preached. People came to the Lord. At that time they met in houses, and elders were raised up to oversee this house. The elders were then to teach sound doctrine. The elders did not try to make one big building that would fit thousands like we see in America today. They allowed 
for the Holy Spirit to raise up more overseers. You see, we need today in the body of Christ, where sound doctrine is taught, we need this taught in every neighborhood. So we should be raising up men that we have a church every block that's teaching the truth, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And we shouldn't be fighting turf battles and saying, oh no, you need to go over there, this is my territory, I've farmed this land, this, that, and the other thing, you need to go over there, whatever, because that's not how the church grows, that's how the church is divided. Okay, But in the early church, when they were led by the Spirit, and they didn't count anything as their own, right? They, they, they sold out to the Lord, they gave up everything, the church grew. They didn't fight with each other, okay? There was no such thing. They didn't own the people. The people belonged to the Lord. The people were purchased with His blood. The people were called by the Holy Spirit to the Lord. And they, But Paul knew, though, that, hey, that was going to change. And there was even going to be people amongst these elders that would rise up and speak perverse things and draw disciples away after themselves, not sparing the flock. They, they, they could care less about the flock. They could care less about other people in, in the body of Christ. They just, wanted, they just wanted to get their way. And of course, that still exists today in the body of Christ. But back in the days of the early church, the the body of Christ just grew and grew and grew in the early days. People were equipped for the work of the ministry. They didn't huddle in one place Sunday after Sunday and go about their lives for the rest of the week. They started more house studies and they witnessed to more and more people. They were led by the Holy Spirit and not led by their carnal flesh. And that was the body of Christ in its proper action. But then there were those that wanted disciples after themselves, as verse 30 there says. And they didn't speak sound doctrine. They spoke perverse things instead. They twisted scriptures. They used scriptures, and people use scriptures today. You see... Scriptures don't lie, but liars use scriptures. So that happened very early on. Paul knew it was going to happen. And like I said, unfortunately, it continues on till today. Then verse 31, Therefore watch and remember, Paul says, that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Okay, so today, do you know what an elder's job is? Again, if you want to call him a pastor, Bible teacher, right? Uh, one of them that is trying to draw people away to themselves, they are a person that covets your silver. They covet your gold. They they cover they covet excuse me your 
dollar bills and such, okay, or apparel. They want fine things. Again, they want to build their own kingdom. They want to have a nice property and all of that, right? And they say to you, give to me and it shall be given to you. Right? They, they twist scriptures like that and they make up that kind of stuff. And, and there are some out there that don't even say that, but, but behind the scenes they fight to keep the people in the seats at, at all cost. Whatever they have to do to keep the, the building supplied for. But that wasn't the Apostle Paul, though. The Lord's chosen example for you and me today, Paul says in verse 34, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. So Paul worked not only to provide for his own needs, but also for the needs of Timothy and Silas and Barnabas, right? He says in verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So again, I talked to you about this last week. Work and use your finances for the kingdom of God. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, this is God's Word telling us how to be blessed in this life. So Paul wanted to exhort these elders of the house churches in Ephesus to live like he lived. And it's uh, being passed down in the Word of God for all the other church groups to follow as an example of. We have it here in our Bibles today, don't we? It's our example. In verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. So, let's turn back to 1 Timothy. Paul established this church by the work of the Holy Spirit. By the work of the Holy Spirit, elders were raised up to oversee the house gatherings by the Holy Spirit. Timothy was raised up to oversee the overseers. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't own Timothy. Timothy didn't own the elders. They're all been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, and they all belong to him. But Paul continues to instruct Timothy in verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So, rather than understanding the true purpose of the commandment, which is love from a pure heart, and we need to let that sink in as members of the body of Christ today. Okay? Love from a pure heart. Check your heart. Examine yourself. See whether you're in the faith. I need to do that on a daily basis. And say, is my heart pure? Am I serving the Lord in the way that His Word describes for me to be? Or am I doing it in a way that man has come up with? 
or a religion, or a denomination, or a non-denomination. Right? You see, because love from a pure heart means it's an internal thing and not an external thing. Rather than realizing this and living this out, people that are like this, they, they turn to idle talk. But love being expressed from a pure heart is the bottom line for us as followers of Christ. It can't just be idle talk. We can't just act like it. We can't have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. You know, when asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So the two greatest commandments involve love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. But verse 6 there speaks of idle talk, right? In other words, just a bunch of hot air, sitting around talking a good Christian talk, but not doing anything to back it up, or worse yet, behind the scenes being dirty. But God's Word instructs us to be in a place of love from a pure heart, a good conscience, not guilty of secret sin. Right? We need to have sincere faith. If you remember, a few weeks back, we talked about the um, Thessalonians and how they had a faith that produced works and a love that labored. Faith that produced works and a love that labored. We can't be known for just idle talk, judgmental talk, toward those that are lost in sin. We must instead be known for a pure life and a sincere faith. A faith that is displayed in how we live and how we treat and how we love others in Jesus' name. Paul continues in verse 8, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So we get a list there of some things, but it also includes a lot of other things. Whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. So you see, the law has a purpose. It keeps order. But you don't need the law if you love from a pure heart. Your conscience is clear. And you live out your faith. Now, just a quick example here for you of what I'm talking about or what the Scripture is talking about in regards to you know, just law here in the United States, for example. In the United States, there are over 100 laws that pertain to larceny, theft, stealing, right? Whatever you want to call it. 100 laws. Do you know that not one of those laws matter to me? I don't need an understanding of those laws unless I'm going to be in law 
enforcement or in the judicial system. But I don't worry about those laws, and nor should you. I don't read those laws because I'm not going to steal anything. I'd rather love my neighbor enough to not take what belongs to them. And I want to have a clear conscience in this matter. And I want to live in a sincere faith and understand that my God will supply all of my needs. So we are to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Because the fact of the matter is, is we are here in the carnal flesh, right? We're still here. And we're still walking around in this body of sin. Am I able to steal? Yeah, I'm able to steal. But if I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, and I live and I love from a pure heart, I won't do this. Because again, I won't violate my neighbor. I won't violate the man, the woman that owns the store. You see, but the law has its purpose, but the law is for the lawless and the insubordinate, as verse 9 says. But it shouldn't even be a concern for the born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Again, because we live our lives with love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and a sincere faith. We're not hypocrites. We live how we're supposed to live, how the Word of God tells us to live. The law is not for a righteous person. And the law doesn't make anyone righteous. The gospel does. Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, makes us righteous. And that's it. And Paul says in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So, The written words that bring righteousness to a person are the words of the gospel. Jesus told his disciples that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Think about that. That's what Jesus wanted preached. Repentance. That's the first part. Repentance. You turn from your ways. You turn from being led by the flesh. And instead, you're led by the Spirit. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit become evident in your life. So Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came upon them in Jerusalem. Then the gospel message went forth. It began with Jesus telling them to preach repentance. And then came the remission of sins. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out with this message. The primary message of John the Baptist was what? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is even closer at hand now, and nothing has changed. One must still turn from their sin in order to be saved. Paul says here, the gospel was committed to his trust, and he never compromised it. He never watered it down because he knew, as he told the Roman believers, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Galatians 2.20 describes a believer in Jesus Christ, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. But it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, God's grace is indeed an amazing grace. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It's an amazing grace. But in Galatians chapter 2, 21, it says that you can't set aside the grace of God. Meaning you can't just shrug it off and think that in the end, you're good. And think that in the end, if your good outweighs your bad, you'll be okay. You see, you either repent and receive salvation or you continue in sin. You can't straddle the fence. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot out. Okay, So you either repent and receive salvation or you continue in sin. But it starts with repentance. And then you begin to live a life of love from a pure heart. So Paul said that the glorious gospel of the blessed God was committed to his trust. And then in verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So for the person that has repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they think that their past sin disqualifies them from serving the Lord in this life, you're wrong. Paul used to be a blasphemer, a, per, a, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But God's mercy came to him, and Jesus Christ counted him faithful, and he put him in the ministry. So if you've repented of your sin, no matter what your past is, you could be used by God today. That's amazing grace. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You see, for that lost person out there, that maybe if you are a Christian, that co-worker of yours, that, that you know, that loose woman, that foul-mouthed man, that loose man, that disrespectful youth that you know. You see, God's grace is exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that have, has never come to know this exceedingly abundant love and faith that are in Christ Jesus. Well, all you need to do, all they need to do, all any of us need to do is turn to Him. And they, but they need to hear and they need to know that God loves them. And as you live out love from a pure heart, and as you keep your conscience clean, and you live out your faith, you know, in the words of your mouth and in your actions... Other people around you have the opportunity to come to know this amazing grace because they'll see the power of it in your life. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So what if you're humble enough and contrite enough to admit to the lost souls around you that you're, you, was a, you was a chief of sinners. You needed Jesus as much as anybody needs Jesus. 
What if people could just see that it was God's grace that got you where you are today in Him? Look, we are to live lives of righteousness with no, no doubt, right? We are to live with a clear conscience, no doubt. We are to live out a sincere faith, no doubt. But we learned all of this when? How? We learned all of this after we came to Christ. Don't forget that you were born lost. I was born lost. I needed to be born again. We all need to be born again. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. It's that old thing, you can't clean a fish until you've caught it, right? Well, we can fish for the souls of men and women. And the the people that we work with, the people that we commute with, the people that we shop amongst, they're lost and they're, they're perishing people. And we should have an impact on them. They don't need to hear about your place of fellowship. They don't need to hear about your worship team. They don't need to to know that you have a great children's ministry, a great youth ministry. They need to know Jesus. And again, they're all out there in the world, all over the place. And they're the ones that Jesus came to, to seek and to save. So we should be preaching the gospel in every neighborhood. We should be raising up people to go out and teach the Bible everywhere. Right? We should be letting our light shine and not hiding it under a bushel and gathering all in one place and then fighting with each other about whose church is where or whatever it may be. You know, I bring this up a few times here today because this happens. Believe me, it happens. You know, but Paul remember where he came from. And in verse 16, he says, However, for this reason I obtain mercy. Now, pause right there because if you look back at verse 13, It says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So there it tells us that he obtained mercy. And verse 16 tells us the reason he obtained mercy. Okay? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Okay? That's you and me today. We are a part of those that have believed on Jesus for everlasting life. Paul is saying that his life was an, an, an example No wonder we have so much written by him in the New Testament. God gave us Paul as an example. Paul suffered for his faith. So will you if you live it out. Paul understood the joy of the Lord. So will you if you trust in him. Paul was humble. He knew that he was nothing in and of himself, but he knew that if he lived his life through Christ, that he could do all things. All things that God had for him to do, that is. Right? So Paul obtained mercy. And again, we're told there in verse 16 the reason he did. He said that in me first, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. 
all the things that God had for Paul to do, Paul did. He knew he could do all things through Christ. Many people like to say that they can do all things through Christ. And they apply that to their natural lives and to their and not to their spiritual walk, right? They love to say things like, I could build my business through Christ, which strengthens me. I could become wealthy through Christ, which strengthens me. But everyone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ for everlasting life has Paul as an example. Right? So we need to read our Bibles, and we need to understand and know God the Father. We need to understand and know Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. We need to read our Bibles to understand and know the pattern of life that we are to live as portrayed in the life of Paul. Verse 17, now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, the eternal King, the immortal one, never to die again, the invisible one, the one whom we do not see, but by faith we believe in. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, there's a reason that you and I have obtained mercy. It's because God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So I know that we have some lost and some, you know, as these teachings go out through the Internet, right? We have people listening that they've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. They don't understand this whole thing that we're, that we're teaching here today. All right? But we need to, each and every person, needs to commit every aspect of our lives to Jesus Christ. We must surrender our lives completely to Him. Our future, our marriages, our, our children, our work, everything about our lives is all His. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Let go of all things that you hold on to and just hold on to faith. A sincere faith. Love from a pure heart. And live with a good conscience. This is what God's Word is telling us here as we study this. Let's pray. 